Welcome to the Ether. Today is Saturday, March 18th, 2023. Today on the Ether, Omniflix in the spotlight with Tendermint Timmy. Crypto versus CeFi versus Chepe. Let's take a listen. Good afternoon and good evening to everybody. This is In the Spotlight. Uh, I'm Chev and we are live with Tendermint Timmy uh, here on this lovely Saturday of March. Beware the Ides of March, everybody. How are you today, Tenderman Timmy? I I hope well. Can you hear me? I can hear you. My Twitter's freaking out. Yes, okay, I can hear you very cool. well. We're, we're going to say it's all good then. I'm doing good. Besides Twitter giving me issues, as always. <laughs> oh, well, that, you know, you got to take the good with the bad, I guess. Yeah. But I'm connected. That's all that matters. Exactly. And if uh, I guess it looks like they're starting to slowly resolve the Android issue that we um, that everyone was facing yesterday. Uh, so that's a that's a step in the right direction, I guess. But I think people also are getting wise to the thing that you mentioned yesterday about the um, the the outdated version or the the screwed up like update from uh, Android Twitter. You can downgrade the APK on Android if yeah. you want to. Did they officially make a statement or something, or have you just heard anecdotal reports that it's starting to be better? I've just seen people uh, posting about it on Twitter, and 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 what you said is exactly what other people are saying, and it seems to work when they. Do that. Oh yeah, yeah. I what I was doing was uh, setting up some old uh, netbook, and then there's like Android versions that uh, work with Intel uh, normal processors, and then I'm. I just got it running. Uh, I will check if my uh, audio interface, I mean, for the good audio quality with the mic and everything works. I will let you know. Yeah, emulators also work, actually, is another note for people because they're all going to be like a slightly older version. Bluestacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta love Bluestacks. Indeed. <laughs> I hate that there's not a... Well, I mean, I'm sure there are some, but most emulators are so, like, gaming-branded. Like, for gaming, it's like, I don't want to see these loading screens of, like, <laughs> cringy mobile games. Yeah. And if you're developing, if you're developing and having this emulator running and then having Docker running, uh, sometimes uh, you, have, you have to have some small, like, old netbook where you just put on Android and it works so fast and you can use everything. With USB ports and uh, everything, audio jack. It slows your computer down like crazy, though. I wonder if there's any way to like mitigate that other than buy a faster computer. Dual booting, maybe. I mean, I suppose. Um, well, thank you everybody for joining us today. 
And um, I appreciate the uh, assistance on the technical side because I am not a uh, I am not a developer, so I cannot typically uh, troubleshoot issues like Android issues and things of that nature. So thank you guys, uh, and I'm sure a lot of other people in the audience can relate to that. But it's um, always good to have you know, dev help or tech help uh, on that end. But welcome everybody again to in the spotlight. If you could do me a favor and share this around to your um, to your community or to your followers, that would be very helpful. Uh, so we can kind of try to grow, grow the space out because this is a space that we started uh, about a month ago. Uh, the rest of our spaces are typically uh, 2 p.m. UTC. So this one we have shifted it to a uh, time that's a little bit more conducive to allow people in the U.S. to interact with Omniflix and engage with Omniflix. So um, any sharing that you guys could do in your own uh, in your own networks would be very helpful and appreciated by the team. So Tenderment Timmy, we are very happy to have you today and learn a little bit about you. And the goal of this space is to shed light on people in the cosmos that are doing something uh, exciting or relevant or unique or interesting and allow people to kind of take the avatar off and you know show and you know demonstrate who they are as people and kind of put a little bit of personification back into um, or into Web three I, I should say. So with all with that with your permission we can carry on forward in that uh, direction. Let's do it. All this stuff. So who is Tendermint Timmy? Oh wow. What a <laughs> that kind of question. <laughs> um, so I'm a person who's always been a, a tech guy, like not a developer, but uh, the type that, you know, my friends or family would ask me like, hey, why isn't my Twitter working? And I might figure out the APK type thing. So like just just shy of a developer, um, always been interested in tech, everything. Discovered crypto... I don't really remember how I discovered it. It was so long ago at this point. Like when Bitcoin was the only crypto I, I knew about, it. it was on my radar and we mined on a shitty laptop for me and my friend for a little bit. Um, What's the most Bitcoin you've ever and had in the wallet? Kind of, like you're like that, that were yours. Um, Over under. In like one, one private wallet, probably like only. Well, probably like five or six at one point um when they were like about a hundred or two hundred dollars on coinbase i i bought like yeah i think something like five or six of them at once um but then that uh that got spent i bought that not as an investment at the time but as a you know, form of currency unfortunately um but yeah and so kind of like knew it from the angle of just some weird internet thing uh, and also using it to like buy stuff on the internet. And then slowly as it kind of grew, I started to really see the potential both as an investment, but an investment because of like the potential of the underlying tech um, and just started getting really, it was kind of a slow process. Like this was before there were crazy crypto people. Like I just became fascinated slowly, like hung out on the Bitcoin forums, uh, Bitcoin talk, I think they're called just like the OG yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and eventually, you know, Binance came out. I remember that's when I really started getting into like trading. There was a YouTuber that I watched, Data Dash, 
Um, and when Binance first launched, they like had him shill it. He was one of their first partner things. And I signed up. And luckily I did that because even though I didn't use Twitter at the time, just because I was like using Binance as my main platform, I heard about CZ making the statement of like, we're adding Adam to the exchange without making them pay a listing fee, which is the first instance of that ever happening. So I actually didn't do any research. I just bought a thousand Adam um, and put it into a private wallet, like pretty much at the time of listing. How much was it? Um, uh, probably like a, a, a couple, around a dollar or something, somewhere in the range of less than a dollar to three dollars, somewhere in there. Like it was not a small amount of money, but also just something I was able to be like, you know what, this something about that spoke to me. I was like, wow, they're listing it without. I, I think a part of my brain actually made a guess about like Binance Smart Chain. I was like, the only reason I could think they'd do something like that is if they're partnering with them or using the tech or something like that. Um, so yeah, I just did that. Down and I was, line, I guess eventually they ended up doing that. Yeah. I, I, I have to wonder if it, that is why though, cause I can't, I don't know any other instances where they've added a token without making them pay a listing fee. And at the very least where they've like announced that as like a public thing that they went out of their way to say, so I'm wondering if they got a lot of technical help with the SDK um, in order to eventually build Binance Smart Chain. And through that, probably also like an ICO uh, buyer, I would assume Binance was, but and in return, they listed it for free or something like that. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. There's but, be something so, in for, for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, you know, later down the road, uh, IBC turned on, there was the Juno and Osmo airdrops. Um, and just cause I like, I kind of at that point realized multi-chain was the way to go, like, or the only way forward, to be honest. So I was like, okay, so Cosmos has been agreeing with that vision from the beginning. I just got these cool airdrops, uh, big airdrops, like for me at the time, I, I'd never gotten an airdrop before, actually. So having like a sizable amount of money, I, would, I remember talking to my roommate. I was like, I don't know if this is real. <laughs> I, what am I looking at? Like, what? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Like I kept saying, like, this this must be a scam or fake or something. Hold on. Easy on us. Like, you know, when you were holding your Adam, it was like one day, miraculously, here comes Juno into your wallet and yep. everyone else. It's like, all right, you got to go through, go through all these missions, which I get. But um, that was a cool day. I like. I remember that very. But even the osmosis missions, it's like it's when that was newer. So I didn't mind at yeah. all. The missions were new to me. I was, this is cool. I'm like actually playing with this platform and unlocking money. Like what? Unfortunately, <laughs> I only got my osmo like maybe like ten days before the the uh, the like oh, eroding up. Clawback. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I missed out on quite a bit, but um, I still got some. So I guess I can't complain. I missed out on like 20% of mine. I was like a couple weeks late or something. And honestly, it was just lucky that I even somehow found out about them like then. Uh, but yeah. And so then I guess I just sort of, I'd wanted to do more in crypto than just trade for a while. Um, and so now I had these like large allocations that I was planning on staking. Um, so that kind of meant being locked in long-term anyways. 
Um, and I have like a little bit of a teaching background, um, just in like a lot of freelance work. I would do tutoring and teaching various things. And I already tried to teach all my friends and family that didn't care about crypto anyways. So I figured I would just like make a Twitter and kind of do what I could to just answer really basic questions. I knew I couldn't answer anything advanced, like dev technical stuff, but, uh, and that led to like Cosmonaut Bootcamp, which is the Wednesday spaces I do. And things just kind of grew from there. And now I've built some projects and I'm like sourcing funding and stuff. So kind of crazy. So what was the first project that you got involved in on, in Web3? Uh, like in, in what terms way? of like, like being participating a, in the, in the community and like, act, or I'm sorry, in, in uh, like act, participating yeah. as a team member. Oh, as a team member, uh, m my own, I mean, uh, spark IBC with like my best friend in real life when we kind of had the idea for it, like a year, a little over a year ago at this point, so what is um, but yeah, prior to that, like any of my actual work had been non web three related. Gotcha. Um, like I said, before you explain yeah. what Spark IBC is, uh, what was your like background in like Web two, so to speak? Yeah. So uh, mainly video editing. Like all of my jobs have been video editing in some capacity. Uh, my last one, kind of most recently, uh, before I went full time Web three, was in marketing and advertising. But even still, in that, like making video ads. Um, so yeah, and that's still like a hobby of mine and a passion. And the cool thing about video editing, actually, um, like it's something I definitely want to teach my kids if and when I have them. And I encourage other people to at least have it because it's debatably like the most versatile skill ever. That along with like graphic design, because every single industry somewhere in their stack has need for videos, even if it's just like internal training videos for a faceless company. But if it's not, then it's marketing or or product demos or in the digital landscape of startups like videos are everything whether it's organic or paid posts or so That's yeah, very good. I, I recommend people with, <laughs> i've always felt lucky that i enjoy it especially yeah. with uh ai starting to like become prevalent across like various different industries and various different parts of the industry uh it's definitely good to skill up when you can and as you have the time to learn something new uh, because if you don't keep learning, you're going to wind up being in a position where there's going to be a robot that can do what you do better and, uh, more efficiently and cheaper. And then you might be out of a job at that point. So definitely good to continue like upskilling and building layers of skills on top of your, uh, like already existing skill sets and talents. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And like whatever your hobby or skill set is too. It's probably best if you embrace AI as a tool to make you better at your job rather than resist it. I know, especially in creative jobs, like anything artistic, there's a sort of like gut feeling to be like, nope, I'm going to keep doing this my way, the manual way. That's the real art. But like if AI tools are available, just master those and they'll make you an even better artist. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll probably get left behind but, because people will still have their creativity. They'll just be using these powerful tools to like bring it to life more efficient. Yeah, efficient. And there's definitely skill that goes into using AI, because if you can't put together coherent sentences, you're not going to be very good at using AI. So you got, you got to like be very creative and good with words too, uh, to be able to utilize it to the best of its ability and know how to like manipulate the algorithm, so to speak, to make it do what you want. It's funny that Sasha's up here, actually, like the first time I really talked with him and got to know him, um, I think he like shared his screen on a call and just showed me this 
kind of crazy AI system he has set up for, I mean, you could use it for anything like generating NFT collections, custom images. Um, but yeah, Sasha is big into that. And I think it's a perfect example of what you just said. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yes, sir. I just don't know exactly uh, what I should do with it. Like, um, yeah, I was doing, for example, for the ARC protocol, for this uh, testament there, all, all these NFTs with this uh, paper styled. Uh, that was all my artwork. Otherwise, uh, not yet really released uh, things because I was otherwise busy or didn't have the marketing or something like that. Uh, because I, I like to spend my time developing and engineering instead of uh, shilling on Twitter and making whitelists and, and tweets like that. That would be for me for me to do everything as one person uh, too much. So yeah, everyone. I feel is like ready. there's just. I feel like there's so much cool stuff yet to even be tapped into with AI art though. Like, you know, instead of just using it to make NFT collections, why not like kind of rethink the oh, concept? Yeah. Of, but like, this is just one example I can come up with right now, but I think there's just so much people haven't even thought of like, uh, make a system where the NFTs on chain are actually like tokens that you can use to generate uh certain certain pieces of art through an ai but that are all part of a collection like what if that's how the corporate collection worked right like what if or any collection mm. out there really that's ai generated where uh, people have to proof of yeah. concept out already like long time but I, I didn't know how to uh go with the marketing and uh all these things but that would be really we can do hella nice of things yes I feel like that's something that would fit perfectly somewhere like within Omniflex, some kind of more advanced NFT system like that, where there's, you know, a custom interface where you burn one of your token NFTs in order to get a brand new generate, like you put in a prompt and on the back end, the AI has a very specific set of configurations. That's kind of what makes it part of this certain mm. collection, but you can still put in a custom prompt to, you know, like in the corporate using that as an example, you would say what animal right um and then yeah. it would it would know what to do based off that but on and then i was thinking like okay <clears throat> what if you make like a remastered uh blah 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 collection um of course with permission or something uh where you can have the original nft uh and if you can prove by the blockchain that you own this this nft right now and you, you can mint the uh, remastered one that creates the the pixel art uh, or like hand drawn NFT into some 3D character, but exactly this NFT that you own. But you can only do this if you really own the original one. Would be also possible. I actually I saw something kind of similar to this uh, yesterday. One of our creators, uh, Songs of Eden, he's a, a platinum award-winning musical artist, a pianist, and uh, music producer. And he has a new collection that he uh, just, I think he launched it on OpenSea. Uh, but he, he launched a collection of Omni Owls with us a couple of months back. And he now has a new collection of MIDI punks, which he creates by 
uh, playing keys on the piano to make the design. So like with his MIDI player, as he presses the keys, it like, you know, it makes a, a design on the key on the screen, which is like based on the keys that he touches. So he made one that lets you basically, he has a base image and then you can like customize how the NFT will look based on like the eye color of the, of the MIDI punk and the nose color and uh, like the headphone color and all different shit. And it's, um, and then you like, you, you can compress that and it becomes an NFT and it has like his music with it as well. Um, but I've never seen anything like that where you can like kind of like customize how the NFT looks at the end of the day. Um, so I guess maybe that's kind of new in the space. We definitely have to talk in DM for any any nice projects here. Because we have the technology on the table, it's all working. I have automatizations for it. And uh, it, it's it's not only the tech, but also like kind of how you are prompting and how you are setting, setting the parameters, what model to use. Uh, um, there's people that you give some advanced AI tool uh, with this 1,000 of parameters, and they will never do any great artwork with it, uh, simply because they they will not understand what to do with it, or, or <laughs> like never come like with a good prompt. And uh, that's also one thing that I noticed that some people are very creative with it and understand it instantly and can, can do very good jobs and very good artwork but it's not like uh like the magic wand that uh everyone thinks no i and i definitely will reach out to you by dm um because I, I know you've been around our spaces for quite a while and uh from what i can tell you're definitely a very well-versed um person with a with a tech mind a tech minded uh, very well-versed person so I, I appreciate any knowledge that i can absorb from people like yourself so i appreciate that because uh, my, my background is uh business development and marketing and you know i just happen to love crypto and nfts and um you know, when you blend the two it makes you like you know pretty good at the, at the job that i do but and when it comes to the tech side not so much that's not my uh that's not my like best understanding of things. So uh, appreciate that. Match in heaven and then uh, let's go. <laughs> Amen. Uh, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Um, so Tenrin Timmy, can you tell me a little bit about the IBC Spark project of yours? Yeah. Um, so S Spark IBC started like pretty small like the initial idea it's still pretty small but um the initial idea was just right now the cosmos is the cosmos like what is that we talk about it like it's one thing um the inner chain but in reality it's pretty fragmented like each chain is its own community even if a lot of people are members of multiple of them um, they have their own sort of economic structures and functionality. So I kind of sensed this problem of like, right now, if you're a total grassroots startup or even a mid-sized project and you want funding, your two places are going to be from grant programs, which are tied to a chain, or community pools, which are obviously inherently tied to a chain. So it's like, let's say you wanted to build something kind of like 
white whales, uh, the, the first version of the product they release after the Terra collapse, where they didn't even have a home chain. They didn't even have a hub. They had outposts, outposts on multiple chains and like were truly chain agnostic and multi-chain. That kind of thing, me and a couple other people just through talking and then me and my friend through talking, we felt that was going to be kind of a problem going forward um, as far as getting funding, because like, let's take the osmosis community pool and the osmosis grants program as an example. For the most part, um, and I I don't blame them for this, this isn't a bad thing, they're going to want to mainly spend that money on osmosis centric things, right? Just like how a a public business is sort of um, beholden to like drive value for its stockholders. In theory, a, a grants program and usage of community pool funds should very directly benefit that that token and, and chain. Um, and obviously, I think everyone could come to agree that while that is true on one hand, it's also true that multi-chain efforts, like truly chain agnostic ones, uh, can also drive value to these chains, just not in as direct a way. Like it's sort of the, you know, rising tide lifts all ships type of thing. So the idea for Spark initially was just basically a Kickstarter type funding platform um, for chain agnostic and multi-chain efforts that would really just rely on like private donations, just people being generous. And we had some like small thoughts about how, you know, if if we have a leaderboard that kind of creates a reputation system. And then especially if we highlight validators, this, this might sort of create a system where the reason people would want to donate is because it shows that they're giving back to the ecosystem and this for validators and then might get more delegations. Um, So we built it out because like, I just, I I really felt there was something there in the core um, and it was possible to build out thanks to core one. Um, They gave us a grant, a pretty small grant of like 20,000 USD in Juno. Uh, By the time we cashed it out, um, some of it's still in Juno actually, but like we we didn't get nearly $20,000 just because of market conditions, but it was enough. It let us hire on a web three dev, which is what we really needed um, and get like the, kind of basic product out but now things have definitely like continued to grow um and the the big turning point was at one point we were having a spaces where we were talking about spark um and a small validator in the ecosystem steady crypto overheard us talking about like a kind of longer term vision for spark and basically outlining what's now interchain info and just luck this is just like universe aligning like this is one of those things i would not be able to still be building right now if he hadn't heard that and somehow just seen what i was saying and like believed in me so much that he reached out he was like hey uh i run a development company like almost 200 people like it's not web 3 it's web 2 but i have like resources and i want to help you build this thing like interchain info namely uh, and so I've kind of been working with him ever since in a really close capacity, like everything's 50 50. Um, I owe well, like, you know, the new spark design was built by his team. Um, he pays for and manages like the validators, uh, which are now like spark and airdrops branded. Uh, but before were his little steady crypto venture. Um, yeah, that was probably more than a summary. No. You can always just cut me off when I go too long. I don't, I don't like cutting people <laughs> off because then, you know, I, I like to let people uh, speak and, you know, 
kind of not be the like host that just tries to shut people up. Like if you have a story to tell, then tell the story. Um, you know, like you're better. The space is more so about like, you know, the person that I have on. Uh, so I'd rather have you share, you know, what you want to share the way that you want to share it rather than me kind of like jamming something down your throat and, uh, cutting you off. So I appreciate that. And I'm sure, um, you know, the audience does as well. Um, and also if the audience, anyone in the audience has any questions for Tenderman Timmy as, as we go, um, through the next, uh, half hour or so, feel free to hop up and I will throw the mic your way. Um, but yeah, no, that was very, uh, very helpful and interesting. And I think that when somebody tries to start something in web three, especially even in the cosmos where, um, there seems to be a bit of an aversion to like, uh, revenue models in a sense, um, in, in many ways, you know, like it's people, you have to kind of like get creative with how to sustain the community because some, in some cases you're going to, you know, it seems like we're starting to see it happen in uh, certain cases where, you know, chains just, they, they disappear and you know, it doesn't happen often, but you know, chains disappear uh, and it happens in every ecosystem. But uh, I think like now that we're getting into the point where, you know, the regulation is probably coming soon to the space. You know, we got to start uh, focusing on how to make sustainable communities rather than uh, communities that are built by, you know, thousand percent APYs and whatnot, um, because that's not going to make the cosmos a sustainable place. It's not going to be, you know, and, and thankfully not you know, every project isn't built that way. But um, revenue models are definitely the key drivers for growth of any project or any community. And if you don't have revenue drivers, you're not going to be driving anything um, before long. So definitely something that as a community, we got to like start kind of keeping in mind is just, you know, generating re revenue that can be self-sustaining for the community and keep replenishing the, uh, the community treasuries and the community pools and all that uh, to make sure that the cosmos is here in, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, and I guess like the interesting thing there is I kind of wish Soy to be studio. I think that's the name. Soy was here. Like he he phrased this really well the other day when we were talking with uh we were talking about an Evmos proposal that was gonna spend some community pool funds. Um and he was pointing out that like it's not actually just a pool of money that's sitting there. Because it's this really weird thing of like Sure, between today and tomorrow, the amount of Evmos or Adam or whatever in the community pool might go up. Um, but if no new money has entered like the, the chain, the ecosystem, the sort of TVL, it's not like really growing. Like, sure, you could argue the market cap's growing because more of that coin's in existence if the price stays the same. But it's this really weird gray area where like I don't think anyone fully understands it. It's interesting how it all works so in order to provide that actual revenue generation like that you were just touching on because i agree immensely the true key is onboarding new users um and like bringing in more money to the system it, it's funny because in a way all new financial systems are a ponzi in that way like anything that's not a well-established government economy is sort of a Ponzi in that it does need new capital to come in to keep growing, that's but that's just the definition of growing, yeah. right? So 
a long story short, like that is the attitude we're taking with Interchain Info and why we think it has the potential to actually be one of the most bullish things for the entire cosmos. Because all the cool shit that we build, all the good tech that we have, it doesn't mean anything if people can't access it, find it, and feel comfortable trying it out and using it. So long story to chill and pitch but like yeah i think that's so crucial getting new users and that's like a big target of what we're going to do with interchain info how are you going to do that just like uh basically do for the interchain mainly cosmos right now but in the future just the interchain all of kind of web3 that's interconnected um do what do for that what google and wikipedia did for the internet and it's like an absolutely massive lofty goal. It's funny that I'm tackling it. I just, I, I realized after so long, no one else was, and it's critically important. I, I, so, and, but what I mean by that is just basic infrastructure of being able to navigate and learn, right? Like, and you, are you, are you talking about like learning about the project specifically? Yeah. Learning, well, learn about everything. Right. So like when interchain info is kind of fully up to my long-term vision, uh, whether you want to use it to research a specific project that you just like heard the name of earlier and you want more info on, uh, whether you want to dig into a certain concept, maybe that's just like IBC, a tech thing, or maybe more general, like you're super new and just wallets. Like so many new users don't understand funds aren't in your wallet. They're on the chain and the wallet's a way of accessing them. So like these low level things, um, specific projects, finding new content creators and people to follow on our resource hub. So like YouTube video creators, medium article writers, spaces, hosts, um, just like making this all accessible and easy for people. Right. So whatever you're looking for, kind of having a centralized canonical place to know you can go do that and find what you I need. I cannot agree with you more. I actually had this conversation with Sisla uh, uh, like a couple of weeks ago. And I was, you know, like kind of lamenting how as a as a person in biz dev, like, you know, if I if I'm in Web2, I can go to Crunchbase and I can find out any number of things about any number of companies. And there's other resources that are exactly like that, you know, and with in in this space, there's really not anything like that where you can go and, um, you know, get, you know, details or, um, you know, reports about companies before you go and reach out to them to try to collaborate with them or partner with them and uh, you know find out information about the project that's running the team uh, or the, the team that's running the project. Um, you know, there's a lot that is not in the Web3 space yet because it just hasn't been built. And this is something that I think is very, like sorely needed uh, in the space because information is one of the most valuable things that you can get. And when there's no information about a project, you're kind of just left to uh, take a guess or take a you know a leap of faith that the people are who they say they are and the project is what they say it is and you know that's why there's so many scams that happen in the space because people don't have the proper information to make educated decisions. Yep, boom, and that's why it's like scary for new users too, right? Like I, I don't blame a lot of new users that like I know people in real life right that have kind of gotten into crypto usually because of me. And even done a couple steps on their own. Like one of them came to me one day and was like, hey, like I made a private wallet last night and I was doing X, Y, Z. But I also see a lot of them kind of peter out and just stop because it's. I think it's just like a, a fear is like a strong word here, but, but a fear thing, right? Of just like or comfort. Like they don't feel super comfortable. They 
know just enough to be able to like do the thing like okay i can follow the instructions here to set up this private wallet i can send stuff here that's my address i guess okay but they don't actually feel confident enough to like want to keep going and dig deeper and try DeFi and figure out how to buy your first nft and like all this stuff uh more people than you might think get stopped like kind of at that initial hump or get yeah yeah that's a really good point too because and on top of that it's like you have the government breathing down your neck and you feel like oh if i if i like you know if i have a bitcoin wallet they're gonna come after me and like audit me and you know you, you have the fear of like oh if i lose my private keys like I, i'm never going to see my money again or if someone like finds my private keys they're going to steal all my money and like there's all this like you know fear of like almost like self-doubt in a sense because it's you're responsible for your money now if if you have a crypto wallet you know if you lose your private keys yeah that's on yeah and i guess people don't trust themselves enough well Okay, so I don't think it's that, actually. I am only realizing this right now. I love these combos. Like, I think what it might be more than just that they don't trust themselves enough. It's that everything you just said is true. It's not like a misconception. It is true that you have to take care of your privacy, both not losing it and not letting it fall into other people's hands. You have to understand X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. That is all actually true. But... I think what we take for granted, what I haven't realized till right now, is the reason we do it is because we see that those risks are outweighed by the benefits of having sovereign control over digital assets. So I think the real issue for people is the the average person still doesn't understand why Bitcoin became popular in the first place. They still don't understand like two things. One, that money and value is very hard for you to actually have in this world. Like your money is in the bank. Something could happen. Um, your house is yours, but like, I don't know what happens if something with your deed or if just the government says it's mine now, if you're in, you know, a worse country, like it's very hard to actually own something, um, especially when it comes to money. And then two, like people, I don't think understand the implications of what blockchain did for digital, like compute and things in general. In a non-monetary sense, I like to explain blockchain being cool because it finally lets us treat digital things like they're physical. And by that, the example I always gave is like, this is, the, you can, this is how you can tell I've been doing this for a while because I came up with this analogy before like Spotify and stuff. If I bought an album on iTunes and sent it to you, that's like theft in a way, piracy, whatever they'd call it, because I'm copying this material and sending it to you. If I send you a text, a Snapchat, an email, a transaction, what's happening is like the data is being copied over. But if I had that album as a physical thing and I give it to you, like that's totally fine. And and in a very simplistic sense, the reason that's fine is because I don't have it anymore. Like I've given you this thing. We're not pirating and making copies in some sense, even though super technically it's still just numbers being copy and pasted. But um Blockchain lets you like be sure that if I give you something, I don't have it anymore. And like that's super low level fundamental principle there, along with understanding it's hard to have sovereign control of anything else in this day and age. I think that's what most people are missing. So when they come up against the, the scariness of a private key, they're like, why bother? Like what? Uh, there's this extra risk here. Why would I take this on? Because um, they don't understand. On top, sort of that, the on top of that too, you got the risk of, and now people are going to start seeing like, all right, this like these banks are collapsing and like, oh, now like 
you know, other banks might collapse and First Republic might collapse. And, you know, there's like all these other risk factors that you have to weigh in too with fiat money. And, oh my God, the, like the governments are printing all this money. Like my dollar doesn't buy what it used to buy me. And now you see like Bitcoin shooting up in price and, you know, going up 10, like almost 10 K in a week. You know, it's like, you kind of got to like outweigh and kind of figure like the, the, value of the dollar like the time value of money comes into play big time here yep yeah exactly well put but um no that, that's that's a very interesting conversation to um to to have there because i think a lot of people have the you know they see the benefits of crypto and they see the potential of crypto but they just don't understand it and that's un- that's the unfortunate part. There's not enough education out there for people. They don't understand what it is and what it does. And, you know, the the establishment is not going out of their way to teach them uh, in any way, shape or form. You know, they're not trying to educate people about that. They would rather it be buried. Um, you know, they, they want their financial system to be the way it is. And, and unfortunately, that doesn't serve the people at all. I think it's funny too because I think most governments actually see the value in distributed ledger tech. Oh, absolutely! Like yeah, using okay. a super, super broad term here, right? Bitcoin in general, whatever IOTA or Hashgraph's trying to do—that's technically not a blockchain. But like, I think they're a little bit mad because they see it as significant as something like the internet, and they wish they could have done what they did with the internet, which was have it for many years as a personal like military government thing before the public gets their hands on it. So now there's like this scramble, like CBDCs or whatever else you might want to call them to kind of flatten the part of it that's not under their control so that then they can control the narrative. Like, I don't know. I mean, if they really shut down Signature the way that they did or the way that rumors say that they did, that's going to be, there's going to be like some crazy lawsuits going on. I don't know if you heard, yeah. if you heard about that like with the uh yeah is, has there been any updates like today or yesterday i just know like there were rumors but is there anything more uh not that i'm aware of but uh one of our listeners might have some alpha there uh i'll invite Sefi up and see if he has any insights on that end because uh, he always he always has good financial insights so since we're on the topic but uh if he's available that'd be dope um if if on the crazy chance they did, like, you know, a lot of this banking stuff going on right now was some attack against crypto. It's kind of funny because I'm not actually sure this is a fake pump. Um, I, I think there is some real, like, steam to it. Um, and so it's funny if it just completely backfired. <laughs> That's all I was going to say. Like, if they did this to attack crypto and the reaction was, oh, my God, banks are scary. I'm buying Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, what's Wait, up? what? Like, what's the question exactly? I think I'm not sure. I caught the precise. Uh, like, oh, I, I was wondering. I was just curious if there's been any like more concrete updates or anything on the rumors surrounding Signature Bank, like U.S. Gov playing playing dirty with them. Oh, like in terms of like how much, like if uh, really of what happened to these banks. General- like, yeah, how- just like I know there was a general rumor, and there was some. Uh, things people were pointing to that was like, this looks very much like the government attack signature bank or went out of their way 
to bring it down in the name of hurting crypto. But I don't know if there's anything like substantial at, on that. Really. Well, yeah. Well, first off, like yeah. how how much uh, coordination there is between like various governmental agencies and how much these kinds <laughs> of like how much action actually comes from like say the top. Yeah. You know, like like say for example the the Oval Office kind of thing where. You know, like the cabinet, you know, because Biden's obviously an idiot. He's like completely like brain damaged. <laughs> like, I, like he's completely fun like a useless, non-functioning character at this point. Like anyone yeah. with half a brain knows that. So we know that he's not the one. So like then it's like, you know, is the cabinet and the powers that be, are they interested in doing something negative against, you know, crypto for various reasons? Um, it's really I hard think to it's tell for sure. Because yeah, no, I think it's actually. I was gonna say, unless you're in the know, like unless you're in that space where you know what orders are being handed down, what what general instructions are going from executive branch to the various like agencies, like all of this is just largely speculation on the part of like Twitterati and whatever. Uh, And typically, I don't, you know, count much of that for a whole lot of anything. The government generally like is just not that bright. Like, you know, like, no, of all the it's not even about government. brightness. It's just like people forget how disgustingly messy bureaucracy is, especially yeah. in America. Like they're well, it's coordination. It's That's also, what they really lack. It's also very difficult to keep a secret, by the way. So the thing is, like, let's say yeah. there was some coordinated strategy between different agencies. Like, I don't know. These things leak out fairly readily. Like and people sometimes prescribe like way too much like uh like capability for government. And I'm always suspicious when people have this like wild theories about huge amounts of coordination when like the government can barely like tie its own shoelaces half the time, you know? So I don't know. I'm not sure um, how much like, yeah, like how much all this stuff was targeted or whatever and how much they hate crypto or whatever. Uh, there are a lot See, of I think that's actually that- why, I think that's actually why these rumors in some weird way, like have credence because I agree with you. Like it's hard to keep any kind of secret with a large coordinated plan. And so that makes you wonder, are the rumors that we've heard of the signature bank coming from those whistleblowers, like, are those rumors stemming from truth? Like <laughs> it kind of adds that level of, because you know, it is so easy for stuff to escape. Whenever I hear something kind of absurd, I actually don't write it off anymore. Even though I don't consider myself very conspiracy theorist because I'm like the government's your, not that good at your keeping mic is, Your mic is going berserk, by the way. There's some kind yeah, of like crack here. Sounds, sounds like you're getting dragged, oh. uh, getting dragged through like a dirt field. Was it? It was like scratching, like. Yeah, it sounds like you were getting like dragged in a body bag. How's this? Now we're good. Now we're good. Okay. So, I went to earbuds. I think, like, the other thing, too, is a lot of people now, even within government, um, have some level of crypto exposure in terms of, like, ownership of, you know, crypto-based assets and whatever. Some people have used DeFi and things like that. Um, of course, a lot haven't. Uh, but at the same time, like, the number of people that, understand it a little bit better now compared to say you know five years ago has increased now simultaneously that also means a lot of those same people might have been wrecked by various levels of crypto shenanigans so um politicians are not really necessarily great investors automatically and they might have been exposed to some of the same shenanigans that like we might have been so they might well also like let's also just let's also just not forget 
not to discount what we just said and refer to the government as if it's just one entity. I just forget which arm has it. But um, one of the branches of government uh, or departments is like one of, if not the largest holder of Bitcoin that's like publicly known because of, I think, like three main events. It was like the Silk Road seizure, uh, the Bitfinex recovery hack from that couple that was like the fall guys. And one other one, but like the U.S. government has a fuckload of Bitcoin. (laughs) I think they have a billion dollars Bitcoin. Like, yeah, they have a lot. Because, like, think about how long ago Silk Road was at this point. And that money's just been sitting in a wallet there. Yes, FBI has it. I think so. Yeah, and technically, no, the government doesn't have the Mount Gox coins anymore, right? I think that's in like a third party legal entities. Damn. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Weren't those supposed to be releasing? Are those have those been released? What I've heard for three years now that the Mount Gox bitcoins are uh, like being released next month. (laughs) I could have sworn they got sold at auction. I I thought I thought so at this point, but. Guess it wasn't the doomsday situation people were worried about. They had to pay for the COVID thing uh, somehow. <laughs> well, the weird thing about this bailout like, brought to you by Bitcoin. I want to hear that from the government's mouth one day. This bailout brought to you like, by Bitcoin. I think the government is the least of crypto's problems. Um, think about it. Like, oh? The biggest, most obvious problem for on-ramping cash to crypto at this moment is that crypto exchanges um many of them have had a a hard time uh, like generating sufficient attention so you have your coinbase and maybe a gemini and a few others but like outside of the other ones like that crashed like your brokerages like you know voyager or like celsius and some of these other things um one of the biggest problems is that these companies many of them have a hard time making any money with these transactions so like that's a big problem because if that's not a profitable adventure then, like, why would they necessarily, you know, well, stay okay, open? Sefie, that's, let me, that's let a me, problem. Let me pick your brain on this and just give me a, like, like TLDR summary answer because I have a follow-up. But, like, I've been wondering for a while now or thinking that exchanges as a business model and on and off ramps purely as a business model, like Kado, are, like, more different than I thought at first. And so I'm wondering if, a future might entail the majority of like on and off ramping going through dedicated ramps like Kado. Sure, but like similar both with, your takes on that. The yeah. problem with Kado and these others is like a lot of them use the same companies, like the same banks. So like right, but trust let's, as, as an example. Let's right? assume that not every single bank goes under. And if there's a problem, they find a new one and move forward. Like, cause then there's a bigger argument with crypto, right? Yeah. <laughs> like then not, not honestly, the, the issue isn't the exchanges, it's the banks. Not all of these. Well, first off, there's several parts to this. One is not every bank is interested in like just crypto generally, like prime trust would be an example. They kind of, supported on the back end a lot of different companies uh, manhattan bank um which is what like i think coinbase goes through has supported uh crypto to su- substantial extent uh so there's a few banks that actually are in the background kind of like um you know providing some on and off ramps now so that so that's an attack vector theoretically because it doesn't you don't have to control any very many banks to like control the on and off ramps in a sense but then also it's like 
how does the bank make money off of this? Some sort of fees or whatever. And the transaction volume has to be sufficient enough back and forth to like make it worth it to the bank at some level. Otherwise, why are they bothering? Same thing is true of these exchanges or whatever, right? Like it's on and off ramps where cash goes in and out. Like someone's got to make some money off of those transactions. Otherwise, there's not really a really good reason to like have that business. I think to me, like the most obvious problem in crypto right now is that the on and off ramps, um, are they sufficiently profitable to survive over the long run and take on these types of risks? Um, that to me is a bigger problem in some ways, even than the the bank question. I mean, I'm sorry, the government question of like, are they going to ban this and that and whatever? Because um, long before any kind of banning shit went on, right? Like none, a lot of these things were not that, you know, profitable for a lot of these companies so and that's not the government i feel like the solution might be some weird hybrid between like the traditional like pro user order book exchange and something like coinbase where you use your card your paypal your whatever to literally just directly buy off an order book from someone else who's looking to sell so nobody really needs to be profitable except the infrastructure that's facilitating it which could take a fee like i kind of because like then what you're kind of doing is you're taking something like local bitcoins or any p2p option like or would p2p be the right term otc sort of like direct yeah And, and and just simply giving that the convenience uh of purchasing uh, like options that something like remember timmy what happened to local bitcoins like i think they shut down a lot of places because they just weren't making any money they completely no i know but like that's i i think even though it'd be a small change i think it would be really significant in user experience like local bitcoins was truly like a sort of ebay thing you would need to much more dress it up like coinbase or kado where it's simple you just click but What's happening is, you know, you don't have like because the issues you're talking about with these places being profitable, from my understanding, it's usually because they engage in things beyond their core product. So it'll be because they lend out too much or they use tokens for various collateral or whatever. If if there was something that literally just connected buyers with sellers, did nothing else and took a fee on doing that. I do think that would work. And that's kind of what like Kato uses then or, or how their system works. Their issue then is just the banks, like you were saying. So then if you just replace that with the P2P element where like banks would still have to be involved, but um, yeah, I don't know. This is beyond my, I like talking about it, but this is definitely yeah, like, beyond my like, <laughs> knowledge. At, for example, if you look at, for example, any of the things where you know how you swipe your credit card, uh, and you can buy, you know, you can buy crypto with that. Like you've seen like Simplex and some of these different things. Like yeah. Has that shit. You don't have very much of that in the US, but like with Europe and stuff, you get a few options. Um, what you'll notice is the fees tend to be fairly high. You might be paying like one, two, three percent. And I think that's kind of the norm. Like for anybody to make any actual money, you probably need to be making like somewhere between two to three percent, not too different than like how so like look at visa have you wait Sefi, have you used i'm sure you've used something else similar but like have you used kraken for an extensive period of time with trading do you know how they're like fee i have an account with them i don't play with it much the fees are a bit higher than some other places no but do you know how their system works like their fee system so 
I think if there was just a high... So, like, I I think it should be something like Kato where the fees start at, like, 3%, like, pretty high. But it's something similar to Kraken system where either the size of your transaction lowers your purchase... uh, or Sorry, lowers your fee the larger it is. Or the way Kraken did it was your, like, 30-day average volume. So, like, I traded on Kraken for a while when they had margin. Um, I started with a relatively small amount of money, a couple like thousand dollars, but because of using margin and being a high frequency trader, I had like 2 million in 30 day average volume, which made my fee like 0.0 something. Um, and I kind of think that's the middle ground because like a 3% fee doesn't hurt someone that much if they're buying a hundred bucks worth of crypto. But when you're buying a million, you you do feel that a bit more. So if you just do a simple, you know, bulk discount, basically. The reason why these numbers sort of like come about is if you look at traditional organizations like uh, Visa, MasterCard, um, you know, et cetera, like their fee structure has evolved and it's evolved to sort of take what the market considers like, um, like, I don't know, like, the free market has sort of determined what people are willing to pay in terms of like businesses are willing to pay for the actual fee. So you as a customer, when you use those things, you know, you're getting like, Oh, I'm getting the 2% cash back or the 1% cash back. That's all being like the brunt of that is being passed on to the businesses involved. Right. So somewhere along the way, you know, in a remittance structure, like that's what ends up being the typical like fee structure, something like one and a half percent or whatever it is, goes to um the credit card company there's a reason why that amount is the way it is like there's a certain threshold below which like a company's not making money and it's not worth being in business my suspicion is the same with like exchanges and things too as long as they're making plenty of money it's good for crypto people because now you have an on and off ramp if like so, so the profitability of these things is really important for the sustainability of our on and off ramps because without those we're just sort of fucked right like what do we, like how is liquidity going to flow in how like you're going to get your money in dollars at your paycheck whatever how are you going to buy you know bitcoin or atom or whatever the hell else you want right so this is a yeah so it's it's a, it's a I, I don't know that there's like a clean solution this is one of the things i've worried about like for years and years um you know and coinbase like i think they did pretty good on revenue the last couple of years but um but they blew out their spending for whatever reason and um that's partly why they were not profitable necessarily they were like operating at a loss like really high expense ratio for them which is weird but yeah they it's i think they kind of blew out money in advertising who the hell knows what else and does but like it's really important to have these exchanges be healthy and um yeah, oh and timmy the other thing too is like a lot of american exchanges you'll notice just don't have really great like trading experiences like it'll it'll be like a neat little picture of like a thing with you know you want to buy some ethereum or atom or whatever but what they don't have is like you know grid crypto.com is the worst everything (laughs) about it like not only just the lack of features like grid bot trading but just literally the interface like to buy a new crypto or look at what you're holding it's so bad i can't believe it it's crazy like a hundred dollar surcharge on everything it's it's yeah it's it's nuts yeah like it's simple shit like so many like exchanges don't like don't even give you some concept of like what your cost basis is compared to like you know are you up or down on your total portfolio for example is like a simple question um 
you could connect like Coinbase and other things to external APIs like Coinly and this and that, and it'll give you that summary. But it's interesting they don't have that native. Yeah, that it's not built um, in. It's absurd. And yeah, and then like so it makes it. So they have not built easy ways for people to sort of invest too. Like for example, like um, just to like a lot of these things, just to have like a simple, like maybe you want to do like a dynamic DCA, right? Like escalate your buys as the price goes down. You can't even do that simple shit. Like, I mean, honestly, like uh, it's not really complicated programming to establish some of these things. But if you go to like KuCoin, you go to whatever. Like you have so many better options um, for like, and why those things don't get built into like a Coinbase or a Kraken or whatever is, but like anybody's guess, you have to use external APIs. You have to use like um, three commas and bot trading platforms and other bullshit. And then now you have to go pay them for subscription. Now you're in two different interfaces. The whole thing is a little bit frustrating. And there's maybe API risk too. I've started kind of using decentralized exchanges more so for futures trading because I trade futures primarily. And I started using Mux protocol or Mux network uh, on Arbitrum. And I thought like, you know, initially I thought I was like getting like a really good deal on the fees and whatnot. And then I go and look because like if you, and if you, let's say you get liquidated hypothetically on there, they don't take all your money. They give you back, you know, a a decent portion of it. um, And they just take, they take like, you know, your primary losses plus I'm sure like something on top, but then I go and look at it. And I have uh, 23 million in trades over the course of, uh, like, including the leverage, uh, over the course of the last two months. And I see the fees on that. They've charged me twenty thousand dollars in fees, which is which oh, is yeah. the, the fees crazy. add up quick for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I've paid high fees before too. Yeah, if you do a lot of transactions, uh, fees can rack up fast compared to like, well, I mean, when you, it depends on how much money you're making, right? Like, so if you're making. Uh, you know, 10 million bucks or whatever, and you pay 20,000 fees, well, fuck it, right? Like, it's not a big right. deal. But, yeah. But if you're, if you're like, yeah, but it's cutting into your, your profitability. Like, typically, profit. typically, when I look at, like, a, a bot trading platform or something like that, um, you know, like, or AMM fees, so the analysis of this is, like, you need to be below 0.3% per transaction um, at least in order to make any kind of like high frequency trading, even remotely, you know, you know, like sensible 0.2 to 0.1% is considerably better. Because if you think about it, like when you're doing bot trading, for example, you're going off of your profitability is based on like, let's say a 1% difference in the price of the coin up or down. And if like 0.3% is fees, you've given up like one third of the volatility literally to the actual exchange, right? So like the exchange just makes sort of like free money off of that uh, and and didn't really have to take too much risk except for I guess liquidity provider risk or whatever. But you wanna have you want to generally look for point like two percent or less if possible in fees per transaction if you're doing anything serious. Interesting. That's yeah. That's uh, that's a that's a good number. But like AMMs too. Like I, I talked about this with some different like people that were built had AMMs and whatever. And um, you know, because I was interested in like, what if we could get grid bot trading to the DeFi space? And uh, you know, because you can find that sort of thing on, uh, you know, in the centralized exchange space pretty readily. It'd be nice because like if you can go to a nice low fee. Um, 
like exchange, like a you know osmosis or whatever, and do this, it'd be nice. But um, like a lot of AMMs, you know, they start getting close to that 0.3% um, structure where the transaction fee is right around that amount. And as soon as you go higher than that, either through slippage or through fees, it doesn't matter which one, mm, grid bot trading doesn't make any, like it doesn't make sense because now like half your profitability is dissipating, dissipating into fees as opposed to like making any trading benefits. You see what I'm saying? So like when you're using a 1% difference in price, you get like a lot of crypto volatility. You can use that 1% difference between like stablecoin and, you know, whatever asset you're trading to make good money and like pretty high yield, by the way. Like when, when grid bots are working really well and you're making like, let's say um, like 100% APY yield off of your bot or whatever, uh, APR or APY, whatever, whatever. Like the point is like, you're making good yield. You, you lose a lot of that to fees if it's not set up correctly. So that, that is an important thing. And American exchanges in particular, the fees and everything are too high to, like, oftentimes to rationally like, use bot trading in that space. So like, American exchanges, to a large extent, have sucked, like, generally speaking. Like, without regulations, without any of that shit we were talking about, like, they've just been pathetic. And I don't know why it's been the case, it's all things considered, right? Like, because Bitcoin was quite popular in the United States, um, you know, before it was popular in a lot of other places, yet we have some of the weaker experiences in uh, crypto trading. I just happened to notice something. Uh, somebody commented on the space a little while ago that was in here, and I wish I would have seen it before they hopped out. Somebody commented on the space, uh, are you aware of this? Funny thing is, while everyone is playing the liquidity grab Ponzi scheme known as DeFi crypto trades, the NYIC and MAS is in phase two of Project Cedar uh, efficiency of cross-border wholesale payments involving multiple currencies, settlement of cross-border money transactions. Um, interesting comment to leave and then to hop out of the space, but... Um, <laughs> is, it, is it relevant to this or is it just like... Well, I guess because we were talking about the Ponzi scheme thing earlier, and we uh, uh, and we were talking about the exchanges now, so I guess maybe that's why they did that. But interesting comment to leave. Not quite. Yeah, like, I guess are they saying that there's going to be like competitors to payments and other things like that? Com competitors to crypto, essentially. Is that the point? I'm not sure. I, I'm just, I'm not quite sure what Project Cedar is. I haven't heard I haven't heard of that before. I'm gonna have to look into that and do some uh, do a little DYOR on that. Um, yeah, there's this whole Fed, this like Fed now thing going on too, which is interesting. Mm. But, but yeah, but... we went off on a huge tangent here um, collectively. So, uh, I, but definitely a good tangent because it was a productive one. I'm all about adding uh, knowledge and value, and we definitely have imparted knowledge on some people. Uh, so thank you to both of you for that. Uh, always appreciate that. Yeah, I love I love these talks. Just going off the rails is almost par for the course at this point. So you guys, sort of oh, you're saying? Sorry. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. Another little, unless you want to get like everything back on the rails, I had a slightly different topic, but you could jump on. Go ahead <laughs> or keep going. I'll leave it up to Tenderman Timmy. Let's let's hear what it is. <laughs> Can't well, make was, a decision. Uh, so here's here's one little thing I think it's probably worthy of discussion. Um, let's say 
that the banking liquidity crisis um, turns into a real problem. You know how like Srinivasan's big thing is, hey, let, let, like, you know, we're going to have some kind of hyperinflationary crisis in the next 90 days. And he's like doing this funny little Bitcoin bet thing. I don't know if you saw this, but yeah. um, so let's presume any of this was true and it's toilet paper time in America again, right? Like, you know, so I was talking to my team today at work and I'm like, look, uh, you know, like I'll survive one way or the other, like, you know, but you guys don't make a bunch of money. Um, maybe like you should think about what, um, you're going to do if like, you know, for some reason the liquidity in your bank account is kind of locked up and you live like paycheck to paycheck and like, you know, something's going on. Right. Cause like FDIC, these type of things, they don't necessarily get your money back immediately and you'll have bills to pay and you have other things. So we were talking about like a laundry list of things you could do to sort of like, um, I don't know, assuming you had a little bit extra cash, which I think 60 to 70% of Americans do not, by the way. But let's say you did have some extra cash, where would you guys put it? Maybe you guys can like uh, clarify what you would do with your money today if you know you expected, let's say, let's say, let's just make a couple assumptions here. Let's say like the price of your Happy Meal goes from $10 or whatever it is today, uh, and it goes to 20 bucks by next week. Holy let's shit, is a Happy Meal 10 bucks? <laughs> whatever you know, the kidding, kidding. Kidding. I know i know i know whatever the fuck that is right yeah so like let's say that doubles let's just say quickly like let's just say some kind of weird repricing happens um so the price of everything goes up and subsequently like you don't know exactly what's happening to your liquidity at your banks um so not only is you have this wild like price jump but on top of that you're not sure if you can reach the some of the money you actually have Where, what would you do now if you knew something like was going to happen let's say a month from now, like just projecting your heads, what, what would you guys do? I mean, assuming I like, you know, had the money on hand to make a move prepping for knowing about that in advance, like probably Bitcoin and real estate, just to keep it simple, real estate, meaning anything from land to, you know, like a house or apartment or anything. Like I think real estate's probably the safest best bet long-term, even if it's incredibly overinflated now, which if you'd go out like right now and go buy like what a house or something. Like, what do you mean by that? Like I would like probably land of some kind, to be honest. It's just that like, Everything involving any kind of economic system, whether it's the stock market, the FX market, foreign exchange market, um, commodities, crypto, it's so incredibly complex that like the best you can ever do is have a, a decent guess of what might happen. Um, and, and even in the big picture, like there's a lot of evidence to suggest, you know, the stock market goes up over time. That's what it's done historically. But Will it do that forever? Probably not. I don't know how that'll end. The one thing I'm sure about is that for the most part, the population on Earth is going to keep going up, which means land will Strap. probably continue to rise in price just because Ever? there's limited land, be, people growing. Yeah. To be clear, I, what I meant to say is like, not like, how do you protect your money for the long term? Oh. I'm just not living for the next six months. Given that given that an issue were to arise, right? Oh, this is what I'm getting at. Not so much like, yeah, obviously, you know, like buying store of value types. Of um, thing. well, like, then, uh, like, assuming I could afford it, probably I would get land uh, and like a house somewhere rural where that's also sustainable. Like, as in, I could grow food there. It had a well, that sort of thing. Not because I necessarily. Yeah, I don't know. That that'd be my that's that's where my gut reaction goes. 
Like that's I if I knew shit I was hitting the fan. Flyover state, honestly. At that point, I might move to a flyover state, or um, you know, like I might move to uh, Kansas, and because the cost of living there is so cheap, versus you know, versus living in uh, you know where I live in the New York City area, like everything that's is true. expensive over <laughs> New here. New York you know? City is silly. Exactly, and the taxes. Yeah. Are so, okay, well, that's assuming, of course, you had upward mobility. What I was getting at was, like, the type of bank run types of crises that, um, you know, some people are, like, predicting. What I was going to suggest is, like, all right, so I've got money in a bank account. What am I going to do with it right now? All right, so one thing you can do, and I think people have been doing, is some of the strongest um, sort of money market funds led by people like Fidelity um, like a brokerage account. I just took some of my money and like moved it from my bank to my brokerage. Like, you know, my local bank, uh, community bank basically got bought out recently by another player in the market. I don't know very much about them. I know my local bank was quite stable and went through the 2008 crisis, like with no sweat. And they were, uh, really always kind of a very conservative with their money type of place. I don't know who just bought this bank, why they sold it, and what the nuances are, because these are private companies. But it does make me nervous, because, like, you know how, you know, Binance goes to try to, like, pick up Voyager's assets and Celsius people's assets yeah. or whatever? The reason you do that is you're trying to find, like, like if you're a relatively illiquid bank with, like, then you're looking for banks that discount you can buy. Assets. That, yeah. Well, no, not just discount, but you're looking for banks that you can buy that have customer liquidity that you can, and you can use for, like, well, that's what I deposits. mean. Yeah, so like like acquiring a failing bank would be yeah, a discount like why would on getting that liquidity. Get sold if it was doing well, and then like, what did they get paid for that they're like, screw it, I'm out of here. Not only that, but they had slowly gotten rid of their like mortgage portfolios and everything for quite some time, and then they sold out after making their balance sheet look really good. It makes me nervous. I'm not really sure that my bank is solvent. Like, it's going to be okay. So in my mind. Okay, what am I going to do with this? And by the way, I use a local bank for this because, like, you can talk to a banker and obviously it makes it yeah. easier. But uh, if you use like Chase Manhattan or something like that, Jesus, like, it's so annoying to get any kind of like, you know, anything but like a robot phone call or something. So if you have an issue or you have to borrow money, or whatever. So that's the reason I use a local bank. But they're also the ones that, like, theoretically could be at risk. And I don't know if mine is. So I took some of my money and I moved it over to like Fidelity, just into Fidelity money market. So like your stock trading account will, if you have your money in cash, you're actually technically in a money market account. Fidelity is among the like strongest um, institutions in the United States. So like um, I use them for brokerage functions and everything else. And um, so that's one place I put it. The other place you can take your money is one is you can just like just simply pay off your credit card bills, which is probably not a bad idea. So that's another thing you could do if you're like a, like, and I'm talking about like, um, you know, not to move mega amounts of money, but like, you know, be prudent. The next thing you can do is if you actually believe some kind of like hyperinflationary event were to occur in the next 90 days, like clearly taking care of like buying yourself some general goods, like, I don't know, everything from, you know, like the toilet paper run for COVID or like uh, any of the kind of commodity things like, you know, for food and everything else, if you live day to day or, or paycheck to paycheck or month to month, you definitely want to have like rice and other things that you have like stored up so that you could, you could eat with no problem. Uh, and if the price of those things goes up, not only will you not have access to your money, but on top of that, your money won't be worth as much and all the shit goes up in price, right? So solving for that, it'd be like, 
you know, buying like solid goods and things that you're going to use anyway, that's a hedge against like sudden hyperinflation. So I think it's generally a good idea to have like uh, a year in advance, advance worth of lots of supplies if you have the space in your place, right? It depends on your house and everything else, but that's another thing. The other thing you can do is like, okay, um, let's say there are services that you care about and they allow you to prepay. Like for example, you know, you have your electric bill, gas bill, and some other things. A lot of those places you can send like money and they'll store it for you in a sense, <laughs> like in, in the sense that you can, you know, you're taking your money and you're putting it in their bank and now they're liable for giving you that service over time. Your electric company is probably not going to go under more than likely. Um, and like, I guess even if it did, you, you're diversified, I suppose, in where you have your money. So you could do that. Like you could send money to those things. The other thing you could do is like, okay, uh, what I've done before, like in the past is like, uh, remember like 08 crisis, for example, you can take your money and like, just buy gift cards about of shit you're going to buy anyway. Like, for example, like if you're going to be buying Apple iPhones or you're going to be buying whatever or paying for, you know, your. Your, these things like you could just simply get an Amazon gift card, a Walmart gift card, whatever. And now you have money stored in something where it's not likely that Walmart's going under. It's not likely that Apple is going under. They're cash rich, right? So like mm, gift cards with but, but wait, so, like, do you not trust FDIC insurance? Because like for that to make any sense, that would imply to me that if I had $240,000, that you'd rather put it in Amazon cards than yes, Amazon cards are definitely more reliable than FDIC for sure. But but yeah, well, no I agree in, in a sense, but <laughs> in that quantity and capacity, no, well, you're only gonna. Well, first of all, you can only buy so many gift cards at a time legally, so that's neither here nor there. You're only gonna, be, and this is only for small scale. Like we're not talking about like mega bucks here. But wait, I'm just wait. giving like small ideas if, for if you like, don't small trust ideas. if you don't trust like USD or FDIC insurance as much as you do Amazon, that also just doesn't compute to me because those Amazon cards are predicated on the US dollar, right? It's just like a stable coin. And yes. so if, if there's a, a problem with the FDIC so serious that they're not, no yeah. longer like insuring deposits, well, I, FDIC, I don't know how much those Amazon cards will be worth. Hold up a second. The FDIC is only a $150 billion fund. That's not a lot of money. Right. The right. FDIC can any serious national calamity or something like that. And FDIC basically is worth nothing. They uh, so FDIC, I wouldn't trust it to throw like, uh, uh, yeah, I wouldn't trust it necessarily. But no. you don't think. No, but what I'm saying is if, if something happened that were mm -hmm. large enough that that amount of uh, treasury wasn't enough then right. like that would probably imply there's a, a problem big enough that it's still affecting your Amazon gift cards because they're based on USD. If they're still going to become worthless, yeah. maybe hyperinflated. I'm, not, su I'm or not suggesting, I don't think it's going to become worthless. The Amazon is good for it because it's the, it's a gift card code. So that's a little bit. What I'm saying is, is that like what constitutes a slightly diversified store of value for someone who doesn't have that much money and doesn't have the time or the inclination to have their money stuck while FDIC and whoever the hell else, like while you're trying to eat, right? This is more eating money. This isn't, we're not talking about like, you know, saving your billion dollar, you know, like cash hoard in your bank. This is like small scale for like normal people kind of a thing. You follow what I'm saying? So like you're, you're, only, you're not doing this because your Amazon dollar could also not hyperinflate. You're doing it because you, if you, if you needed access to liquidity, and you know for sure that commodities that you care about, that you buy at Walmart or Amazon or whatever, you can use these cards for. At least you have some off-ramp is what I'm getting at. 
right? Because then the time it takes for FDIC to sort their shit out, are they going to do so in a timely manner if a 200, 300 banks go under? Are, they, I mean, are, are those gonna, cards like, even going to work? Your money. Are those cards um, even going to work? Yes, the banking system that they run on? Well, no, because yes. the way those cards work is Amazon pays basically from one of their accounts to a third-party merchant. Like, let's say you're not buying an Amazon product. And so that, that relies on the banking system. It goes to that third-party bank account. But Amazon's going to be banking with the biggest banks in the world, though. They're not going to be at, like, your... That aren't going banks. under in, this, in yeah. this hypothetical. Okay. Yeah. So this is less likely. <laughs> but the point is, like, well, first of all, if Amazon and Walmart go under, I promise you, you're fucked. <laughs> like, you might, as well be, you might as well be dead. Like, that's going to be how bad it would be. So that's a different thing entirely. Wait, so right? I like, shouldn't continue my plot like, to take down Walmart? Yeah. That's <laughs> like bad. some sort of Armageddon-level <laughs> event where you think you're going to go and sit on your farm and farm your little vegetables. That shit is not going to happen, right? You, you're basically screwed at that point. Like, that's a different level event. We Like, nat- right. like total national security disasters, that's a whole other combo, right? Like, I'm talking about just, like, transient liquidity crises where you as a normal person want to have access to your money so you can buy normal goods and services that you care about. And there may be an element of like, you know, hyperinflation and valuation problems and possibly access to liquidity. These kinds of things have happened in the past. And like, that's why like back in 2008, it was such a big emergency and they just sort of bailed everyone out and like printed a bunch, like sort of printed a bunch of money and like fed, like jacked up its balance sheet. Right. And now we're just seeing that whole unwind happening all the way you know, years and years later, we're seeing that. Look at tech stocks, for example, like a lot of the tech sector, the stock prices are back to like, they're getting back to like 2008 levels, almost like the pump never happened, right? It's like, this is what's been going on. So it's like this huge, like change has been happening the last, I don't know, like year or whatever. And um, like everyone's balance sheets are all fucked up basically. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, I think we have a question from uh, somebody that hopped up here. Ruben, what's up, buddy? Hey fam, uh, TLDR. I feel like the Fed will do everything within its power to back up FDIC. The 150 billion for FDIC is like the moment the moment that's under threat, they're gonna just print a trillion, right? Like, am I? Can, do you? The second and third well, the order. Fed effects, they don't really print it. They what they do is they take off um, assets from balance. They they buy assets from banks that are in trouble to sort of backstop them and they sort of can do that indefinitely they're not exactly it's not exactly printing money or whatever and then yeah fdic probably will be bailed out by whoever right you're right but the more of that that happens the higher the probability also that you simultaneously have the dollar inflate and you remember like ruben if you're if you're living day to day right like let's say you just need to go eat and like shit, your money's in your bank account. You don't know in a major crisis that you're going to get your money within like a short period of time. That's what I'm getting at. Like you should always have the ability to eat, live and uh, pay your bills, you know, and have enough money set aside to do that, regardless of whether your bank works or not. That's what I'm getting at here. Like yeah, even if it's for that. a few months, even if it's for a few months, there should be a strategy is all I'm saying. How long does spam last? I think it lasts a long time. It's like a few years, at least. There you go, spammed out. Let's go. (laughs) 
I think there's like some metric that they use for like the cost of spam too. So like uh, to dictate like the uh, the price of inflation or there's some metric using spam. I forget what it is. Uh, I'm gonna look that up real quick. But the spam index or something. Yeah, there's something like that. Uh, like the cost of spam, like relative to like the price of um, uh, like the cost of living or something like that. It, it's I don't know. I forget what it is, but I remember seeing something like that. Another thing is, um, guys, like another thing to really keep in mind is the world is like tricky and unpredictable shit. Like our family went through the, um, in the South, we got wrecked because real estate values like got absolutely crushed by like 75% in parts of the South regarding like the, the, the 1980s, um, like mm, what was it? The OPEC thing where, you know, the United States colluded with OPEC to basically drop, you know, oil prices and this and that big time to wreck the Soviet Union. I don't know what else the purpose of I don't remember the nuances of it. All we know is our family got screwed and we had substantial amounts of uh, loans on properties like real like apartments and things like that, that um, were really, really seriously underwater um, when the you know property values went down. And ultimately that that leads to like bankruptcy and things of that nature. So the real estate is not always as safe as you might think it might be. And, and currently, like, for example, the, like, I was looking at the medical, um, what do you call it? Real estate investment trusts. And I'm like, wait, the market is pricing those down a lot, almost like it's expecting a lot of healthcare to go out of business, um, which is really, really nerve wracking. Cause if we have an inflationary situation, like you won't be able to pay healthcare workers and that affects like profitability of hospitals and all sorts of things. Uh, and they may not be able to make rent. So like those insurance trusts uh, have dropped in valuation. I've been picking them up on the way down sort of, but real estate's not as always as safe as you might think it is. We have been wrecked big time in that space as a family. But And, and on that front, the, the global population is declining in a lot of places. Um, India that- is on the decline. Uh, Nigeria is way up, but like outside of Nigeria, um, Japan's Japan way down. down. Japan's way down. It's been upside down for about five, five, ten years now. Um, I don't know about China, but I got to assume I got to assume there's a knock-on effect of one-child policy. It's coming pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, there's apparently some villages in Japan, Ruben, that you can buy like a house or some shit for like I don't know, like ten thousand bucks or something. Like crazy, oh, yeah. like crazy villages that like are completely shelled out. Nobody's living in them. Um, so yeah, like. It's funny because like it's not good enough to have a house. It's only good enough if everyone around you is also reasonably successful and the neighborhood is being kept up, right? Like real estate can go to shit in certain locations for sure. Yeah, well, value trades relative, right? And money in all of its forms is no exception. Yeah, I don't know. Like it seems like we have this sort of like, in a way, this weird dark cloud ahead of us. I, it's hard to really know what to do about it like how to plan around it or anything like that. And, and more like relevant to crypto, it's like, well, you know, what, if anything, should your crypto portfolio be exactly in reference to all of this, you know, is Bitcoin going up quote unquote, because of this? I don't know about that. Like there's always some narrative BTC goes up. Volumes are still kind of pathetic. Like this idea that we're going to like really, really moon Bitcoin right now. Like, I don't know. I'm sort of doubtful of that but I, I could be wrong. You never know what happens, but um, there doesn't seem much volume. And a lot of the like 
general public is wrecked and we don't have at least in the United States a whole and in Europe we don't have a lot of like extra money sloshing around that people have to spend on crypto or anything else for that matter so I feel like this is kind of like a little like pump and then we get crushed again but I, I could be totally wrong I have no idea depends how far CZ can stretch the billion he deployed you know about that no what happened he, um, so binance launched their industry recovery fund which is basically taking a billion dollars of busd and buying shit basically oh, taking that. the quantitative easing playbook yeah i get you yeah trying to pop I mean, up the price a little bit yeah you know they tried to add a lot of nuance to it but essentially that's what it was i want to direct your attention to the two things that just popped up on the space here and like get your thoughts on it uh collectively uh just check those out the um it's basically saying the uh the borrowing uh where did that go the discount window borrowing uh reaching an all-time high and the last time that it was this high was covid and then prior to that it was the financial financial crisis back in uh 08 now this one appears to be this uh, this time it appears to be like 33% higher give or take uh than it was in 08 so had do you have any insight to this particular chart i don't even know what this metric is actually i've heard of it once before but I, what is the discount window borrowing sorry yeah i think i've seen this like so Does, the- yeah what is the discount window wait what is the name of this thing i've heard of this once before but i have no idea what it is discount window borrowing reaches all-time high yeah what is that (laughs) what does that mean that's a that's a very good question it's basically um it has to do with the uh the the bonds I, i believe if i'm not mistaken it's like the the uh it, it it predicts inflation. It is a it pre, it predicates infl- inflation essentially. This particular does this does this mean that like a bank who is not sufficiently liquid can uh, borrow at a certain interest rate from the Fed directly to sort of like inject liquidity so that like their depositors have money or something? Or like, I'm not I'm not too familiar with how the like exactly how the discount window whole thing works. You know. Like we need like a like a mega macro economist type in here to kind of sort that out. Here, let's let's see what Google can do for us. So yeah, I was doing the same. It's the main. Okay, so what is the discount on? Wait, it's the main direct lending facility provided by the Fed to support stability and provide liquidity to the U.S. banking system. And for home loans, it enables the central bank to lend lend banks money for up to ninety days. So I think what that chart is in super simple terms is it's a metric of how much support and capital the Fed is lending to the banking system in general. Like, I think that's the dumbest way to describe what that means. So that's insane that it looks like that. <laughs> and then Ruben's chart he just posted, um, this personal savings versus credit card debt, that's... I will never understand that. I mean... I guess maybe I'm just lucky enough not to like have been in poverty, but I, I, for all my life, well before I was old enough to have a credit card, I didn't really get it. And I heard about people racking up credit card debt and I was like, just don't buy it if you can't afford it. (laughs) I kind of understood it. Like 
to the extent that like I've never maintained credit card debt myself. Yeah. I've always sort of paid it off. I've always used it like as just a like a digital convenience type of thing all my life. So I, I'm with you. Like I never understood like borrowing off of you know using the card for this purpose. I can understand why you'd do it if you were like stuck, I suppose. But um, you know, or if the rates were super super low or like introductory rates or some shit like that, right? Yeah, certain. But, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about yeah, people yeah. that will go to the bar yeah, two extra nights a week and put it on the credit. Yeah. Like not but buying like groceries. And- early on, I like, you know, that was like why, when I understood this and how much people sort of degen on their credit card. Um, so I, like I bought like early IPO MasterCard and Visa stock way back in the day. And those have done like extraordinarily well because the network effect of Visa and MasterCard and like, you know, and their like fee structure is essentially a tax on the human race. Essentially, at this point, everyone uses cards, and they get a chunk of every little <laughs> bit of it. So it's like that has. If you like the the lesson here is um, one general lesson in like in investing is if you use it a lot, you should probably own the stock too. Like if you find yourself swiping Mastercard and Visa all the time, right? No matter what the reason is, you should own like some of the stock. If you use gasoline in your you know car, right? You should probably own some of the stock. If you, you know what I mean, like anything that you use consistently, you should ask yourself, like you might want to have exposure to the underlying thing. And that way, like if that's profitable, um, you also the other benefit to that is like like and I did this with Apple and other things is that if you find that like that company's useful because you're using that company's products, you've got your literal finger on the pulse of that company because you're using their shit and you'll have a better sense of like, wait, are these people executing on a proper laptop on a proper iPhone, whatever it is? No, actually. Yeah. It's literally like, um, it's like, you know, in in my world. Yeah. In my world, my like video editing world, people have this conversation with Adobe a lot where sometimes we'll feel like they'll release a new update or something. And because we are the most on the pulse for this thing, like, this is shit. This is crazy. And like, usually the conversation revolves around can't believe their stock price is still going up, but it's because there's so many other factors. But yeah, wait, I'm curious for all three of you up here, Chev, Sefi, and Ruben, what Sefi just said, what does that apply for in crypto to you? Meaning like, what do you use every day? So you own it. The one I could think of like that first came to mind, funny enough, is Sia coin. I actually use see a coin for storage like daily for spark stuff and so i have like a bag of it sitting around just because i realize i'm using it all the time what about you guys though uh like what does see a coin do just for our reference see a coin is like a 2016 og coin it's a decentralized cloud storage yeah yeah decentralized cloud storage it's pretty pretty well established at this point okay but yeah so like instead of google drive or it's an ipfs that is you know how IPFS is like blockchain adjacent, like it's decentralized sure. tech, but it's not a blockchain. See, a coin is its own blockchain I see. that does okay. the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, do you guys have any like that? Like I know some people in Cosmos might say uh, DVPN or Akash. Um, some people might say Link, like if they just use DeFi in general, right? Link powers like many different protocols. Um, but yeah, curious. Are you asking for like a sleeper? Uh, sorry, I didn't hear the question. No, no, no. Some, something that your investment or at least interest in it stems entirely from the fact that you actually use it. Like, oh, okay. often. Yeah. Uh, no, yep. I, I was, if it was that, if, 
I would say probably Spheroid Universe would be it for me. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of that. It's a um, it's like a metaverse no. project. Their token is like around a penny. Kusama integrated with them uh, a little while back, and they partnered together. But they have a lot of uh, a lot of really awesome partnerships. Uh, I've been in the project since two thousand. You use you use the coin for something specific in that project. Like, what do you? That's uh, what he means. Like, I think. Do you? Do you like, keep? No, no. Like, like for example, I don't use my Sia coin. That my investment, I don't have to use that to use the protocol. I'm just saying I have that oh, investment. I have a bag of CIA. It's exactly what you said a second ago, Safi. Like you if you use your credit card every day. Is useful, so therefore you own the coin. But does it accrue value from the protocol? The coin? You can use it to Well, that's a separate that's a separate question, but I'm wondering much more face value. Like what you said was about uh, Visa and MasterCard. Like you you own the stock because you use it every day. And I'm just curious what that might be in crypto for people. Like investments you've made not because you've thought about value accrual that much or hype or whatever, just because you're like, I use this all the time. Like I should own something. I it's hard. Uh, it's hard to say. And crypto. Uh, I think it's kind of scary if people well, yeah, the answer is nothing in crypto. Platforms, like an Omniflix or a, like a, like a yeah. Stargate or whatever. You're going to own the coin because if you can buy NFTs using that particular coin, that well, might exactly, be exactly yeah. Which, which, by the way, the token uh, will be going live next month. Thank God, everybody. Just so you know. Uh, well, oh, is that like super, like for sure? Any chance of a pushback? I mean, there's always a chance of a uh, you True. know, but uh, the I, I don't want to leak too much uh, alpha and uh, give myself sepsis. But you know, things seem good though. Things, things seem good. Looking, things are looking in a positive direction for the uh, for the token launch. Uh, cool. The month of April um you know there's certain days in april that are you know bigger than others but um there's a good chance that april will be the month that that happens and then we'll have a bunch of dominoes that come all you know falling down the uh falling down the stairs with the culmination being the flix drop which everybody has been you know very anxiously awaiting and i can't blame them uh but we actually did a uh like a series of NFT drops over the last, I think they started yesterday and they'll go through for the next like five, six days for a bunch of different things that, uh, that people were able to do, including going to Cosmoverse in 2021, Cosmoverse 2022. Um, if you've used Omniflix TV, if you've used uh, StreamSwap, if you've used, I'm sorry, not StreamSwap, uh, StreamPay, uh, if you've used, um, if you've minted an NFT collection, if you're a Genesis creator, there we, we're dropping NFTs for that will be able to be burned, and you'll be able to claim uh, Flix tokens as well in exchange for those NFTs uh, as we go along. There's actually one, the first OG uh, NFT drop that we did for that uh, that was going to like be worth something in terms of being able to burn them and uh, and recover Flix. I sold for like uh, just under a million Huawa, which which at the time was about sixty bucks. So that kind of gives you maybe the uh, assessment of like the value that people are uh, looking at Flix for. So they bought an NFT without knowing what they were getting and they, they paid $60 worth of, of Huawa for that NFT. So people are getting pumped about Flix. I think. I'm excited. I, I like, I think you guys are doing one of my favorite things uh, in, in web three and innovation in general, where like you're taking something that is already proven to be successful nfts um but like doing it slightly differently like i feel like 
I, I don't know how to describe OmniFlex, but I love that you guys are doing like extra tech and infrastructure surrounding NFTs and just digital media, like in general. Like um, we for Interchain Info really want to build the closest analogy is something kind of between like Coinbase Earn and Luminosity, like some sort of easy interactive onboarding guide. And honestly, your guys like interactive quiz videos are like the perfect like that's probably what we're going to try and integrate and like chat with you guys about. So, yeah, I'm excited for OmniFlix having a token finally, because I think you guys do really cool stuff. I also have become bullish on projects that are not quick to launch a token like Nomic, one of my top projects. Love how they're doing it has its issues, but still. Well, yeah, no, totally. Like the Nomic, and especially with the B, with the BTC emissions too. That's uh, like really, really interesting because you can. Um, I think I have like maybe fifty or sixty Nomic now, like uh, saved up. But I wish I could buy more. But I'm sure yeah, when I will be able to. How um, much? How much Nomic do people have, Sefi? Do you have any Nomic? Mm, That's the airdrop only. Airdrop yeah, I don't think I bought any. You can't. It's soulbound still. So it's only okay. how much you got from an airdrop and how much you've compounded. So it sounds like maybe not. I got a little bit from airdrop, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I think, but the it, cool thing, like the, the Flix token, is you'll be able to stake it. And every token that's on the marketplace, you'll be able to get uh, emissions. Yeah. Of tokens. So it's like, it's like it's, a, uh, it's almost like, the, the same principle that might make someone attracted to an investment like an ETF, it's sort of that same attraction, but for yield generation, like ongoing, you know, staking rewards and emission. Yeah, the only other project I've seen do something like that is Carbon uh, or Demex. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Ruben, you had a question? I have, a, I have like a 90 second thesis, which rerails the train back to like fundamental economic stuff, but we can. <laughs> But if we can, we can, we can wrap up here first, maybe not, uh, go for it. I mean, okay. Okay. So here's, here's, there's got a couple of theories here. The first one is that like there's the definition of currency, which is a store of value, um, unit of account, medium of exchange. Right. But I think that there are some currencies that are more currency like than other currencies. Uh, and I think it's measured by, um, two main numbers. The first one is how many people uh, who could have the currency or the infrastructure for that currency do have the infrastructure for the currency, right? So if you have, you know, let's, there's 20,000 chains with about 80 million wallets. Some have more wallets than others. But if, you know, my counterparty in a transaction doesn't have the wallet required for that transaction, they cannot participate in the economy, right? Um, so that's really easy with something like cash because all you got to have for a wallet is a pocket, right? Um, but, you know, if the currency requires jumping through a bunch of hoops, then it's it's hard to participate. So the first one is like, what what is the wallet penetration with any given jurisdiction or ecosystem or vertical or whatever? The larger that number is, the more of a currency that currency is. That's the first number. The second number is what percentage of transactions within a given currency are class a money be exchanged for other forms of money and class b money being exchanged for literally anything else right products goods services that kind of stuff and the reason that's important is that if your currency if the value of a currency 
can only be realized by trading into other currencies as opposed to like paying your rent or buying a sack of flour or something or a barrel yeah. of oil then your currency is isn't really as much of a currency as the currencies that are being used to do those things you know it's what I mean? like bitcoin right like that's the argument like or just like general that ties into like can bitcoin become a currency and it's like until you can pay your rent and get your groceries in it without a usd intermediary by this definition no right and so you know and there are transactions that are being made in the various um you know uh, currencies for products goods and services and assets and that kind of thing but um the ratio of Money being exchanged for other forms of money versus money being exchanged for anything else is different depending on the currency that you're looking at. So if you look at the USD, for example, in a 24-hour period, I don't want I don't know what the exact numbers are, but let's say that it's 40% of all US dollar transactions within a 24-hour period are products, goods, and services, and 60% are US dollars being exchanged for any other kind of currency. I don't know if those numbers are right. Maybe it's 20-80, maybe it's 80-20. But what I do know is that I cannot think of a single cryptocurrency <laughs> that has more than like a 99-1% ratio, where 99% of the transactions are actually just money being exchanged for other forms of money versus stuff and things and services and labor and, you know, actual, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Right? There's, and and so, what's hilarious yeah. is there's actually literally only one that can come to mind for me in all my years of crypto where that was its main thing. And I'm not even sure if it was a scam or not, but do you remember how there was a Bitcoin fork, uh, Bitcoin diamond? Like, you probably only know what I'm talking about if you were just around by then. It was one of the Bitcoin Cash, Satoshi Vision ones. But I, I kept checking on it for like years at a time. And the only thing ever done with it, no DeFi, no anything, there was just on their website, it was just a shop. It was just like Amazon. And you just bought like random assortments of everything with this weird Bitcoin diamond. I feel like it was a scam of some kind, or at least like maybe I think it was China exclusive for customer base. But the only reason I bring that up is just hearing you say that, Ruben. It is crazy to me. I have been in crypto so long. I've I've heard about or researched or at least know about so many different coins. And the only one I can even think of where that was its like main thing at all is one where I'm not even sure if that main thing was legitimate. And it's like a weird little fork scam token that's now faded into obscurity. Just, just to reinforce how accurate you are in what you're saying. You know, I, I found one that was that had real-world utility the other day. It was a, a tiny little project. I think it was on Cardano, uh, and it was um, it was Honeycoin or something like that, or a Hive token or something. And basically, a bunch of people had started a bunch of beehives. They were using the you put your money into the token. They physically buy a bunch of beehives. And then, you know, once the beehives are up and running, they use the, the proceeds from the honey sales to pay back the investors. Plus, you know, you get a jar of honey or something. The, the, the important part there is that there's, it fits into Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Where like, if all of the economies all of the same time explode, we're still going to need to eat stuff. We're still going to need to live somewhere. We're still going to need a, you know, shelter and all those things. But to the extent that any particular currency penetrates into those use cases, it's to the extent those things become real currencies rather than, you know, speculation, basically. And waiting waiting for the transaction where you translate it into some other currency where you actually purchase those things. So yeah, there's I, like, I think, there's, yeah. there's elements like of spendability and then there's like fungibility. 
um, which is slightly different. So if I have a barrel of oil, for example, it's really kind of a nuisance to transport and it's fungible all over the world, but who the hell am I going to like offload my barrel of oil to at that moment? Um, so there's that like one, a convenience. Uh, that one trader. There's that one guy that bought the oil at a negative price. Well, that's, where you <laughs> bank, that's where you pull out the NFT and, and tokenize it and turn it into a non-fungible token. Boom. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. There's like a convenience element to it and you have to be able to find match buyers with sellers and all of that. So yeah, like uh, if I was like fleeing, for example, you know, Ukraine uh, during the, um, you know, the crisis there or whatever, like where would have been the clearly safest thing to have had my money in at that moment. Um, I don't think it was even cash because I don't know that the Ukrainian currency did so great during that moment. Um, so like in that instance, it probably would have been you were safest in something like Bitcoin. Now, the problem is, had you like bought your life savings worth of BTC on that date, um, it's not guaranteed that like the value of the thing would be appropriate to buy a cheeseburger on the day that you want to buy the cheeseburger. Um, because like it's a volatile asset, so there's that element too. Most people like want stable coins or something stable as their as their um, daily currency as well, and that's a, that's something that uh, Bitcoin particularly is not large enough to actually provision yet. Like if Bitcoin was maybe like, uh, well, put it this way: ten times Bitcoin's valuation would be something like gold, right? Maybe ten to fifteen times Bitcoin, and even gold is not super super stable. In that, like, you could buy gold at two thousand historically, and then like it's down to like twelve hundred again. Um, so, but like, but, but see, this is where the bigger philosophical, like, and I don't know if we want to get this off the rails, but like, I do find well, this what, stuff interesting. Quick, of like, what is what I was meaning to say about the gold thing was if we understand like market caps, and we understand what gold's market cap is, I think an asset that's worth a hundred trillion will have a perceived I'm sorry, um, what did I mean to say? Yeah, like when you get close to 100 trillion, your asset would have a perceived uh, high level of stability. Until then, like it's, it's going to st still be quite volatile, generally speaking. So anyway, that's a separate issue. Yeah, I was just going to say in a bigger picture sense, both of those terms you're throwing around, uh, stability and like market cap. What's interesting is, from a sort of like pseudo intellectual bigger picture sense it's like what do those mean you're measuring them against the u.s dollar right and so it's like it's 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 just interesting to really think about like what well you could you could also measure them in reference to like what proportion of the world's assets are measured in that particular asset or um, i was like a way i, I feel like it. everything what 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 everything should be valued in is almost something like like the cpi or something like the average cost of staying alive well, obviously forex. that's impossible you have the forex which is like what a basket of all the currencies like essentially trade for on an open market um but yeah no there, i know but i just mean but like, like i just mean like the countries have much much more like fragile uh price action and like uh, volatility in a sense than uh much larger ones and and there's a certain level after which people get a perceived stability. Just the common man, like generally speaking. Well, that's why they did the not, euro, for example. Like, yeah, you need to have like to get that's, into this like, you know, IQ hundred plus shit, you really have to have like a group of people that like, yeah, care about the philosophical underpinnings. Most people on the planet just do not care about the philosophical underpinnings. They want their cheeseburger to be worth like something similar this month compared to what it is next month. And that's well, all they care. Well, 
I'll tell you one thing. The, the basket of all the world currencies, that's the real basket of deplorables right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one thing I got to cover before um, before we end this space at some point is the... Uh, I gotta like try to redirect us back onto the um, onto the, like the highway because we fell off. <laughs> Let's the, do it. We fell off onto the shoulder, and um, we got to cover one thing specifically first: is the the becoming of the Joe craze. Um, how did that come to be, real quick? And um, and like, did you ever expect that to be like as big as it was, or is? <laughs> no, I absolutely did not. Um, and I didn't even start it. Like, um, in fact, I, I recently found out some people were upset with me because they felt like I almost co-opted it. But here's like what happened is one night at like 3 a.m. East Coast time, which I think is where Joe, Joe's time zone is East Coast. He's in Staten Island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some some cosmonauts noticed him and i don't even know exactly who because i was not there for this um i think some of the rack people probably because i know like robos and the other side of the world so the time's not crazy for him but they noticed joe in a cardano space at like 3 a.m his time the space had like 12 people in it and they're like what the fuck is he doing so they all they all changed their profile picture to a picture of charles hoskinson the cardano guy with Joe's face photoshopped onto it, the famous Joe image that you all know and love, uh, <laughs> and just like raided his space at 3 a.m. And there was laughs and memes made out of it. And I got online the next day, hopped in a Twitter space. They were still kind of making memes about it. I think the puns is what was really carrying it. Like Finn, Finn in particular was knocking it out of the park left and right with just Joe-related puns. Um, and I just had, I don't know what inspired me or gave me the idea, but I was like, these are great. I'm going to make a weird little NFT collection out of these with like 12 images. I don't know how I landed on the number 12 even, but I just didn't want to do a lot of work um, and do some fun like game with them. Um, I, I think what made me come up with the idea was that I didn't want to make money. I wanted to just like contribute to the memes and funness. Uh, but I knew that money gets people excited and engaged with stuff. So I came up with the Joe contest, which was basically the mint proceeds go into a prize pool, all of them. And if you collect one of each of the 12 unique Joes, you can claim the current prize pool. So it was just like a fun game people could play. And it just slowly blew up from there. Like uh, then I did a Joe V2 collection just to like kind of keep it going and, and distribute more of the prize money um, because I had some left over and I had committed to not keeping any. Uh, and then the chain got spun up, which <laughs> I was so much less involved with than you might think. Reese just was like, hey, we could spin up a chain. And I was like, cool, I'll do like a white paper full of fun stuff we can build on it. None of which ever came to fruition. <laughs> um, and it just kind of blew up from there. And I think the big single catalyst was there was technically an airdrop for a token that was called Joe because like. It, that is technically what it was. And Reese made it in Kepler so that each Joe token was worth like 0.001 Ethereum or something like that. So I took a screenshot of my Kepler wallet saying I had an airdrop of like, you know, $100,000 or something. 
And I completely, we all totally forgot that Joe is a real coin for Trader Joe's on Avalanche. And so I made this post and some bot picked it up or some Discord or something. And suddenly there was like 800 new Kepler wallets that had been created with people DMing me their address, the price of the Trader the that price of the Trader said. Joe token itself went up like 22 million in market cap. <laughs> like no, it's because we, we were using the dollar sign Joe on Twitter a lot. And that actually yeah, is, that's what I mean. That's a sign by most people to Trader Joe. So like the exactly they got the confused. Social activity. <laughs> well, they picked up the social activity, you know, tagging this chain, this particular yep. thing. And then some bots bought it. And then next, you know, the thing popped two X or some bullshit. And then it crashed. Yeah. Again. So we we know what it takes to pump a coin, though, now. No, quite, quite literally. When that happened, we went into their Discord. I was in there. I was explaining to them. I was like, sorry, guys, we did that. Don't uh, don't think your protocol has anything cool cooking. It's just us. Don't don't invest. (laughs) And people were so fucking confused. They didn't really (laughs) believe us. Oh, my God, that's crazy. I didn't even know. I was trying to be nice. I was like, guys, don't don't buy. There's no like secret announcement coming or whale or anything. We just accidentally memed your coin into relevancy again. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, all right, now since we're going on two hours now, so we gotta we gotta bang out some uh, rapid fire questions here for you, and then maybe if uh, since we have Sefi up here. Um, one thing that might be fun is a Cosmos related spelling bee, which I tried with my Flix fanatics when I had them on the show, uh, a few weeks back and the winner got an NFT. Um, so if you guys are down, we can do a Cosmos spelling bee, um, and it'll be Sefi versus Tenderman Timmy and Ruben, Ruben, will you participate? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. All right. Then fine. Me and Zombie. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> Let's do it. I don't have like super long. It'd be good to wrap up in the next like 15 or 20, but yeah, let's oh, do it. Yeah. We're, uh, we're, I'm planning on uh, taking us home by 7.15. Cool, Leo. Let's do it. All right. You and Zombie for the uh, quick spelling bee? Hit it. I suppose so. Why not? All right. Cool. And the winner of this spelling bee. We'll get a NFT, uh, a Omniflix NFT. I'm not going to release the uh, name of it, but it is a NFT that um, at minting was worth about uh, seventy or eighty dollars US dollars. Uh, okay, so I'm back it, in. It's a significant NFT. Um, so we Ruben's start- back in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now more the merrier. So now we got a three-way, uh, a three-way spelling bee. Okay, back out. Sorry, I'm kidding. Go ahead. All right, so we're going to start with, uh, we'll go, we'll give the courtesy to Tenderman Timmy to go first since it is his space for the day. Um, so, your word, sir, is how do you spell Abhishek? Ab- what? Oh, oh, um, Sisla's last name, right? Correct. Oh, God. I'm so, I'm so tempted to tap on his profile picture. All right, I'll give it a go. Um, can you say it again? Abhishek. Okay. A. I know there's an H somewhere. A B H I S H E K. Bingo. 
That, oh, okay. All right. All right. Well done. Well done. Well done. I wasn't sure if the H was before the B or after, but let's go. Well done. All right. Now we were on to the second word. Uh, and we will go with, uh, I guess we'll go with Sefi first, and then we'll go to uh, Ruben second. Uh, now, in the event that somebody can't spell one, the person that remains and uh, like you know it'll basically be like a round robin so we could conceivably knock out all three of you with one shot and then there's no winner so that's just uh you know an interesting little rule that we threw in there um deathmatch style <laughs> exactly exactly um so now the second word or the first word for sefi is how do you spell somalia uh, S O M E L uh, L I E R. I think it's two L's. <laughs> there were, in fact, or oh, no, there's two M's too. S O M M E. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Sefi. Considering it's the Assam token, S O M M, that was pretty lame. <laughs> yeah. Do they spell that the same way as the actual word? Like a wine familiar? I believe so, yeah. It has two M's, the real word, yep. So now, Sefi, thank you, but you are unfortunately voted off the island of the Spelling Bay. But we love you, and thank you for the valuable insights that you have provided today. But you're welcome to stick around and see the, uh, the ending of the Spelling Bay. Third word. Word is now for Ruben. How do you spell? Are ready for this one? How do you spell? Or actually, no. Um, H o w d o s p e l l. He forgot the spaces. That's wrong. Touche. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, how do you spell? Uh, excuse me. How do you spell agoric? Agoric. Agoric. Uh, A-G-O-R-I-K. Survey says... That is A-G-O-R-I-C. Now we're going to come back to Timmy for the win. This is the opportunity of a lifetime, Timmy. You have the chance to win the second inaugural spelling bee of In the Spotlight. If you can spell this word... Properly. How indeed do you spell? Pick a good one here. Got to go into the uh, into the old bag of tricks because it's you know it's for the win. So we got to make sure it's a good one. How do you spell? Diacar. Die. What is that? That is Dia's first name. Our our other founder. So I gave you the I gave you the one founder. I gotta give you the second. Oh, <laughs> I haven't even seen that one. I don't think. Okay. Uh, say it again. Dia. Dia. He goes by Dia, uh, but his his government name, uh, if you want to call it that, would be Diacar. D H A I K A R. Oh, 
Since when are names and spelling bees? <laughs> well, I mean, that was I fun. To, I have to bring an Omniflix sense into it. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. We got the no, that was good. It is D-A-Y-A-K-A-R. Oh, but damn it. Okay. We're going to throw a lifeline. See, now I'm equipped with that knowledge for next time. I'm going to throw a lifeline out there, though. Um, whoever gets this right, um, and this is going to be like a trivia question, but whoever gets this right will get a free interactive video that they can publish on Omniflix TV um, for their project or for their whatever purposes they would so choose. Um, whoever spits it out first wins. When did Mainnet go live for Omniflix? When it launched. <laughs> <laughs> Clever. What, what date? What date? Hmm. So it's a very specific date, and it's a very iconic date. Oh, uh, it's April twentieth. <laughs> very close, very close. But it, damn it! it. Anybody? Hey. Might as well throw out a guess, boys. April twenty-first. Very, uh, very scary, though. Very scary. Interesting. Um, now, the correct answer for that one is two two. Two 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 two. Oh, what? February twenty second, two thousand twenty two. Oh, you wouldn't think I'd remember that. Wow. (laughs) Big day, big day in the world of Omniflix. All right, last one for the for all the marbles and one of you because I hope one of you guys gets this because I want to give away a free interactive uh, video on Omniflix TV to somebody. Um, Um, Although you you may not like what we post on there though. (laughs) <laughs> like Timmy's known he already play. has plans he had like Timmy's known to like you know post his like personal um sexual escapades and things like that you know so we have well, to be careful giving is, him like, Don, Don has been mentoring me lately so I think you guys need a video progress update <laughs> the, the funny thing about that is though you can actually create your own OnlyFans using Omniflix TV you could you could build your own OnlyFans with that so just, just, a, just a thought, Timmy. If you want to go and go that route, you know, if that's your future, you got you, the future is yours at Omniflix. You guys should see these feet. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> um, but okay, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, which project has the highest market cap in the cosmos? Ooh, this could be a trick question. Um, B and B. Binance Smart Chain, I'm pretty sure. Anybody else want to chime in with an answer? We'll see if uh, anybody else gets in. Adam? Was you that can't tell me it's That was me. You can't tell me it's not Adam. Uh, I'm not looking at the... Um, so it actually is... Uh, I think Tenderman Timmy is going to win this one, actually, because it's technically... Uh, it was a trick question, in a sense. And he was on it like white on rice. It's the fourth largest crypto, right? Correct. You are correct. But the fourth so. largest, though, that isn't that the Ethereum version? I mean, it's the Ethereum fork. Mm, well, they counted it together on things. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, because Ethereum well, didn't really build a um, like they're not a chain on uh, on uh, Cosmos SDK. 
You know, the only reason I thought of that so quick is because just the other week I was talking with someone and we realized, holy shit, Osmosis is not the biggest X in the cosmos. Um, the biggest X by TVL is VVS on Kronos. Like, I was about to say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I was still in that headspace of like, wait, wait, Cosmos is bigger than we think. It's not just these core core coins we talk about all the time. And now there's like an uh, an avalanche uh, roll up that's going to be coming out, or that's like coming down the line. Uh, I think it's called like uh, I forget the name of it. It starts with an L. But yeah, there's an, there's like now a Cosmos SDK and Avalanche um, little collab going on. So we'll see what happens with that. Before I said Binance, I had a split second where I was teleported a year back, and I was going to be like Luna. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that might not, that wouldn't be necessarily like far off the bat because Luna's still got a crazy market cap, doesn't it? Yeah, Lunk, technically. Stone paper. Yeah, it's still BNB, I think, massively like, high. There, it's like a Cosmos beacon chain, and then there's like, uh, like Binance Smart Chain, which is like an Ethereum based. Like it's a, it's fork or whatever. And I don't know how the two of them interact these days. I don't know what's going I don't know what that's all about. Exactly. I don't yeah, it's the same way crypto.com does it. And it seems like the worst way to do anything. Like, it's so unintuitive for new users. Like, you buy your Crow or your BNB on one chain and then you send it to another to use stuff. Like, why? Very odd. Also, you could have potentially trick questioned. The other answer could have been Matic. Matic is uh, like a couple spots above Atom and it's built on the SDK. Wait, uh, is it really? Matic is too? yeah polygon in fact like i've heard from some of my friends in actual important like positions in the web3 world that polygon's like business strategy overall is a wolf in sheep's clothing type of thing where they're they're really trying to be you know they're ethereum they're an ethel too but in reality they are literally just a cosmos app chain evm that only has one like bridge or not, not even has many bridges, but it's most dedicated bridges to ETH. Like, and apparently long-term they're going to really like turn to Cosmos or enable IBC or I don't know what form it'll take, but apparently they're very Cosmos oriented internally. That's interesting. That's very interesting. No, I like, I like what they do because they like, especially when it comes to, um, you know their model for bringing in web 2 they they do that in a very uh in a very nice way and you know there, there's things there's aspects of that that um that i that i like try to kind of look at and learn from and hopefully bring into the cosmos realm yeah i think cosmos is gonna just like swallow things eventually because i don't know about other people but my definition of what cosmos is is very broad and loose Basically, it's if you are using Tendermint, the Cosmos SDK, or connecting through IBC. <laughs> Any of those things kind of put you in my mind. And like that's going to become most things eventually. Just like as things connect to IBC, um, tons of shit uses like Tendermint that, that you don't think about. Like Kadena, they, they had to modify it slightly. So it's called Kadena Mint because they're proof of work, not stake. But it's taken from Tendermint Dash. The OG cryptocurrency Dash, they now use the Tendermint BFT. Um, Cosmos, in a broad technical sense, is going to just like envelop everything except Bitcoin, really. 
um, and even ETH just in that will be IBC connected eventually. Yeah, so I believe. They, you said they shifted away from Dash? Everybody's really like Dash. Seems super efficient. Uh, wait, say again? No, I'm saying Dash now uses some like version of Tendermint at its core for the consensus. Yeah. Good job. I think it's technically on the Atom ecosystem page, or, or it's somewhere. It's on like some, some list, which is how I fa- found out about it in the first place. But yeah, this has been great. I love kind of... Honestly, I hope you were okay with going off the rails because I enjoy these kind of talks sometimes. So I'll get on my I, end. I, I do too. That's why like, I, you know, I try not to have uh, too much of like a set structure on things because I like to let the conversation kind of be guided by the settings and whatnot. And I'm always like, you know, I always try to like find ways to um, bring like educational components into uh, into the space. And if I had a vi- like the ability to do like visuals, then I would just break out the Omni- OmniFlix TV every single time. But I don't really have that, uh, you know, something like that with Twitter spaces. Maybe one day we will. Uh, but speaking of OmniFlix TV, you are the proud winner of a free interactive video campaign on OmniFlix TV which you can use for the purposes as you see fit to promote uh, any other or any or promote or educate or uh, entertain or what have you. So you can put those video editing skills to use uh, and blow the community away with something special. And you can even let people that participate in it be rewarded. You can give them an NFT, you can give them some crypto, Whatever you want to do, uh, or you can do nothing at all and just you know publish the video and be done with it. But it's up to you. Uh, if you want to teach somebody something, if you want to teach the community something, um, you know it's completely your prerogative. You can do whatever you like with it. It is your victory. Um, and you know, I actually know exactly what I'm going to do, and it's going to be great. And I'm going to keep it a secret. But I, I just, I just got it. This is going to be perfect. This works out. That's awesome. I look forward to it. Does it involve your feet? It um, it doesn't have yeah, to, but now that you mention it, it doesn't have to. But uh, no, 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 no. These these puppies will be pay for only. Will not involve the feet. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask where that where, where that was going. Um, so thank you so much, guys, for joining us today on in the spotlight. We were in the spotlight with Tendermint Timmy. I hope you enjoyed being in the spotlight tonight, Tender, uh, Tenderman Timmy. Appreciate you. Um, and I hope we'll, that you'll be back soon. Uh, Sefi, thank you for joining us. Ruben, thank you for joining us. Uh, if anybody has any last thoughts, now's the time. Oh, just this has been great. Thank you. I, uh, I, I'm on your side of the table so often that it's pretty cool to come to a space and I don't have to have shit planned. I don't have to have an agenda, just have a chat. So it's cool to be on the other end of the interview. Appreciate you. Thank you guys uh, very much. Uh, Sefi, any last words from you? Ruben, any last words from you? Nope. I have a just fun watch, fact. Just watch the price of cheeseburgers and uh, have fun and carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave everyone with a fun fact. Uh, so in college, at my college, I guess, at least, there was a trend. Uh, so the first two years, you had to be in dorms. You couldn't have a like private house or apartment or anything. And so there was a trend of roommates always had a, a safe word for, you know, when you had a lady over or for the ladies, men or whatever your prerogative is. Right. Uh, me and my roommates safe word, I guess you'll call it was Ruben. 
So every time I see you, Ruben, I get a little flashback. Like, yeah. Yeah. What a great type of sandwich. Yeah. Mine was, Mom, get sandwich. out of my room. <laughs> it is an American sandwich. So coming from New Zealand, it's one of, it's one of those rare names in New Zealand, bro. But coming to America, uh, I found the easiest way to get people to remember the name is to be, you know, like the sandwich. Oh, it is like the sandwich. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a phenomenal impression. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. That was quite good. That's a great way to end the space right there. Yeah, what well, a great sign off. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for that. That uh that made my night partially. Uh appreciate you guys. Thank you. Shout out to uh everybody in the space, especially uh Sisla, thank you for joining us. Uh and everybody else down there. Love you guys. Bushido, Lego, my algo. I hope that was Lego my algo. Yeah, Lego my algo. That was that. And um you know, Brego, Netta, Joseph, Ray Raspberry everybody that uh, contributed to the space. We love you guys. Sorry, Lewis, you jumped in too late because we're getting out of here. Have a good night, everybody. See you on oh. Wednesday. And, and be like Sefi. De- delegate to Spark IBC. Delegate to Omniflix, too. <laughs> Take care, everybody. <laughs> See ya. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was In the Spotlight, hosted by the Omniflix Network with Tendermint Timmy, Crypto versus CeFi, versus Chepe, recorded on Saturday, March 18th, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. If you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support back. Well, we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep it hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third, I open wide, checking out the scene. Laser beam focused, Starscream jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back. With the cliffs at our backs, make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all erect with the dead man swagger. Sitting in a little den. Vision in the middle, men listen to the fatal man play a little ditty, then talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian, lost in the maze, trying to make the next bubble billion. Little den envision in the middle men Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty Then talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next No one gave a shit till the drugs all dried up Everybody died from a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter we was all hyped up When the pedalitha metal he just didn't have the right skill Watched in the daytime till the night curfew Rats in a cage till they make time to murk you Got a little job that falls under my purview We gotta get this mob away from the birds view. Gotta find cover. Wipe off the bird poop. Ride off the work while you try on the worst juice. Blinded by perps who try to reverse truth. Slide like Fox News just trying to lie to you. Eating up the 
slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants I can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis Mock up a basement, could call me resilient Waiting for the internet to make me a b-b-b-billion In the middle men listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Ten spaces <laughs>